Welcome to the Programming Podcast. Here you can learn about computer science concepts in a brief and accessible way. I'm your host, Minko Gadget. Hello, everyone. Today, in this rather short episode, we are going to talk about the decorator pattern. So by decorator first, if you are used to JavaScript or Python or any other language which provides a construct called decorator, we're not going to necessarily talk about this. We're going to talk about the design pattern decorator. In general, this design pattern, it was described in the Gang of Four book of Eric Gamma and company. So he described this design pattern as a way to add additional pieces of functionality as an enhancement for existing objects. The decorator pattern is sometimes compared to composition versus inheritance, because in both the decorator pattern and the paradigm composition over inheritance, we are using object instances and we're attaching some extra behavior to them. We're enhancing these object instances without creating a complicated inheritance chain. Now, in this sense, they're quite similar, but the decorator pattern aims to preserve the exact same interface or enhance it a little bit as the object that we want to add extra functionality to. All right, before going any further, I want to address something. Since recently, there is a huge controversy around object-oriented programming. Since the functional programming, which is like very old paradigm as well, is getting trendier and trendier in the modern web development, a lot of people start seeing that object-oriented programming is a paradigm, which was a mistake and we should forget about it. Well, that's really wrong. Even if it is not the ideal way to create software, if we completely forget about the past, at some point we're going to reinvent it. And second of all, object-oriented programming Although it is far from ideal like any other paradigm, it is extremely useful in a lot of cases. Sometimes it is very convenient to model our domain with classes and objects. And of course, we should be careful by making sure that we're not creating the wrong abstractions, we are managing our mutable state properly, and so on and so forth. Now, when I'm talking about the decorator pattern, I'm going to discuss it particularly in the object-oriented approach. But in the same time, you can decorate a function as well, especially in functional programming languages which have higher order functions. You can accept one function as an argument to another, and you can add some extra behavior before and after this function. So this is a composition of functions, but well, in object-oriented terms, we can call it decoration to some extent, I guess. Okay, now let us talk about different applications of the decorator design pattern. The most traditional approach, which was explained in the book of the Gang of Four, it is in user interface. For example, if you have a text box with a lot of text and you want to add a scroll bar, you can just decorate this text box, add the scroll bar and forget about it. Later on, if you want to add some additional enhancements, such as let's say a border around this decorated already with the scroll bar text box, you can just create another decorator which adds a border. Later on, if you want to add a second border, you want to have a UI widget with two borders, you can just decorate the already decorated abstraction. And that's it. You can compose this way different decorators in order to achieve slightly different behavior. Now, how does this decoration happen? 
You know, when you want to extend the behavior of an existing component, of an existing class, let's say a class button, what you usually do is apply inheritance, right? You have a button right after that, you extend this button with a, let's say, border button, if this is a thing, which has a border. After that, you may want to add a glowing effect, let's say, and you create one more class in this inheritance chain and you have a glowing border button. But after that, you remember that you want to have just a glowing button. So you may want to create another class, right? Which is called a glowing button. And this way you have already three different abstractions. You have actually four. You have your original button, you have your border button, your bordered glowing button, and your glowing button. And this might not be necessary. With the decorator pattern, what you can do is just define your primitive abstraction button. It is already there. You can create a bordered widget, which accepts an instance of a, let's say, UI widget or something, which happens to be implemented by the button and adds a border around it. You have a glowing UI widget as well, which is just another class which accepts a UI widget and adds this glowing effect around it. It is very important for the glowing UI widget and for the bordered UI widget for both of them to implement the common abstraction called UI widget, because this way you will be able to compose things around. You will be able to create a glowing button just by creating a new instance of the glowing UI widget and passing a button in its constructor. And later on, you will be able to take this and pass it to the constructor of the bordered widget. And this way you're going to have a border glowing button. This is an extremely convenient design pattern in user interface. As you can see, you can build these very lightweight classes which later on you can compose and build more sophisticated solutions. And you can even compose them at runtime, which is fascinating. You don't have uh, this explosion of many different classes and these complicated inheritance chains. So the decorator design pattern is a fascinating pattern to go. Actually, this reminds me, the first, the first time I heard about design pattern was a long time ago. That was maybe over 10 years ago. I was first year in college and uh, we were about to implement a new data structure that was in our data structures class. So our university professor wanted us to implement a Boolean array where we were keeping the individual Boolean values instead of in a Boolean array in C++ where each individual Boolean value takes one byte. He wanted us to implement this data structure by using individual bits because, well, the Boolean value is just true or false and we can represent this with a single bit, which is either zero one. We went through there and implemented, actually he implemented it for us and we were just following along, but we ended up having this abstraction, which he later referred to the proxy design pattern. And when he said design patterns, well, given also that he said this in English and we were in a Bulgarian university, we were quite confused. So after that, he was shocked that we don't know what design patterns are. He said, like, like, are you like already fourth year in university? How you don't know what design patterns are? We're already our first year, but that was a, a really excellent motivation for us to go ahead, buy the design patterns book and study all these 
different concepts in order to help us improve the software that we were building. All right, this happened to be an extremely essential design pattern for me as well. A couple of months ago, Coursera acquired a startup that I co-founded called Rhyme.com and inside of in the system, I used the decorator design pattern at least a couple of times. And given that I rewrote the product because of different requirements a few times, I had to implement this design pattern probably at least five times or so. Now, I use it for something else. I didn't use it for user interface. I took advantage of it in order to build a network protocol for communication between the front end and the back end. In Rhyme.com, we want to have a, a real-time update in a lot of different places. It was uh, pretty much a traditional single-page application where we had our UI framework on the front end and we have a back end and we wanted to get updates between the individual students because it was an educational platform. Once the guy joins or once the student joins, we want to get an, we wanted to immediately notify the teacher. What we did was ending up implementing a WebSocket stream. So when a, new when a new student joins, we were sending a push notification to the guide with the student's information. We ended up multiplexing this, like multiplexing a lot of different messages over this WebSocket stream. We ended up sending like some screenshots. We ended up sending some business messages, like business details. For example, we implemented a chat over this communication protocol. We were sending also some system messages and so on and so forth. Originally, we just created a simple abstraction. I believe we called a channel or something around these lines. This channel just knew how to send and receive messages. We had an implementation of this channel abstraction. This channel was just an interface. We had a WebSocket channel, which was accepting a codec, which knows how to decode and encode individual WebSocket messages, which were in binary format, because we were really aiming for high efficiency and very low bandwidth usage. And from there on, we were just able to encode the individual messages that the user was passing by, and right after that, we were able to decode them and send them over the WebSocket stream. Right, so far so good. But at some point, we wanted to implement an abstraction which was able to send a message and right after that, receive a response of this message. What we could have done was obviously implement, actually inherit from this WebSocket message bus or however we call it, and right after that, implement this request response functionality. But imagine if we wanted to change the communication channel that we were using internally. We wanted to switch from WebSockets to WebRTC. Well, in this case, we'll have to implement yet another abstraction and we'll have to complicate our inheritance chain dramatically without actually adding much value. We were pretty much had to duplicate the functionality that we had in our WebSocket request response abstraction to our WebRTC request response abstraction or so. So we just create a request response message channel or request response channel. I don't remember how exactly we call it. Uh, this channel was accepting a channel in its constructor and it was just adding this request response logic. Basically every message that we were sending, we were assigning to it a UUID. And right after that, the client on the other side was responding with a message with the exact same UUID. So we were keeping a hash 
with the messages that we sent and their corresponding QUIDs. That was pretty much everything. And when we receive a message with a specific QUID that was already in our map, we're just notifying the client that, well, here it is, here is the response that you were waiting for. That's where we used Decorator. And of course, we used Decorator on many other times where we wanted to attach some extra features to our UI abstractions. I want to talk about this design pattern not only because it is very essential and it can may look in, and it can may look your source code look more elegant and help you just scale, just build rich user interfaces or rich backend systems by just composing what you already have. It is also very essential for the understanding of the aspect-oriented programming. This is a paradigm that we're going to discuss sometime in the future. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm going to add links to the Gang of Four Design Patterns book together with probably a decorator example on the page associated with this episode. Thank you. Talk to you next time. To learn about new episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at mgetchup. The list of all resources and recordings is available at podcast.mgetchup.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.